You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello again, Avs fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Avs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche and brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs. I hope you all are enjoying yourselves as 2020 winds down. It's been a long year for everybody. I don't think that's a question. and I think we're all ready to move on to the new year. And what better way to do it Then on January 3rd, the Colorado Avalanche will be stepping back onto the ice to open their training camp ahead of the regular season. So this is not only our final episode of 2020, but also our final episode without the Colorado Avalanche being back on the ice. Next time we talk, Colorado will already have a day of training camp under their belt. Maybe we'll have some ideas of what the team could look like, who they're looking at to maybe make some of those extra spots, how the prospects are looking in camp, who's going to be in camp outside of the obvious guys. So I thought for today, we should go through some of our expectations for what the opening night roster might end up looking like when the Avalanche host the St. Louis Blues on January 13th. We'll be looking at all four lines, all three D pairings, and basically just projecting what that opening night roster is going to look like and talking about how it'll, it will change a lot during the season, so what those changes could look like as the season goes on, and after that, taking a look at expectations for just about every player on the roster and what to expect from them throughout the 56-game season. So let's jump into looking at what the roster might look like once training camp is wrapped up and they drop the puck against the Blues. Let's start with the very obvious first line of Gabe Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen. I don't think there's any debate there. The only reason that would not be the top line come opening night is somebody gets injured or tests positive. There is no reason to break that lineup every time they are together. They are, at worst, the second best line in the league. And you can probably argue now that they are the best line in the league. That title often goes to the Boston Bruins' top line of Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand. But just looking at the overall skill level of all three of those players, that, in my opinion, is the best line in the league, and there is no reason to break it up while all three of those players are healthy. You can forget penciling that in. You can put that down in Sharpie. So let's move on to the second line. 
Andre Burakovsky slotting in at that left wing spot on the second line, centered by Nazem Kadri, and new acquisition Brandon Saad on the right wing. I would be very surprised if this line doesn't work out throughout the season. Burakovsky will get into more individual expectations later, but he's going to. I expect him to have a very good breakout season. Kadri was excellent last season, had basically a career year as a member of the Avalanche and really showed up in the playoffs with 18 points. And the, adding Brandon Saad alongside that just upgrades the top six even further. Obviously, throughout last season, you had Jonas Donskoy plugging into that right wing or Valerie Nachushkin plugging into that right wing. But Brandon Saad brings just more talent, I suppose, to that top six, if it even needs any more. So again, barring injury, I'd be hard-pressed to imagine that that isn't the second line for the Avalanche on opening night. Kadri, obviously the second line center, Burakovsky deserves to be in the top six, and they wouldn't have acquired Brandon Saad if they expected him to play lower than the second line in the lineup. So overall, the top six is pretty easy to put together. I truthfully wouldn't expect that to change very often if the Avalanche get their way throughout the season. So once we get to the bottom six of the offense, you can probably start to interchange things. I have it looking like Tyson Jost on the left wing, centered by JT Kompfer, and right now on the right wing, Jonas Donskoy. Donskoy and Valerie Nachushkin, I think, are going to interchange a lot throughout the season just because of how skilled Nachushkin is and how much he emerged last season, basically as found money. I would expect there to be more of an expectation from Nachushkin to be playing a little higher in the lineup because he just signed a two-year deal, and I doubt he signed a two-year deal with the intention of playing on the fourth line all the time. But as of right now, Donskoy, he plugged into that second line a lot last season, especially on opening night, just a bit more stability, I suppose. But if Nichushkin has a good camp and shows that he's grown even more than he did last season, I would not be at all surprised to see a third line of Jost, Kompfer, and Nichushkin on opening night. And moving to the fourth line, I mean, it's just amazing looking at this lineup just because of how deep it is. These are all NHL players. A lot of teams don't have that privilege. Fourth line, left wing, Matt Calvert, centered by Pierre-Edward Belmar, and right wing, Valerie Nichushkin. That is truthfully one of the best fourth lines in the league. Belmar, he's not the best scorer, but he brings a lot more of that physical presence and just drive into the net leadership. Same with Matt Calvert. I mean, they have all the skill that they need higher up in the lineup. It's not like they need an entire offensive skill. And Nachushkin obviously does bring a lot more of that skill to that fourth line. But again, maybe opening night Nachushkin starts on the fourth line, but He's the type of player that's going to be moved up and down throughout the entire season for injuries or just 
performance or if a line's not working just to get it kick-started again. It really is a luxury right now to have an offense as good as this for the Avalanche, as deep as it is, as skilled as it is, really even how young it is. I mean, they're not aging at all quite yet. I'd say the oldest member of the core is probably Nazem Kadri, if you want to consider him part of the core, even though we just acquired him last season. But the core players, in my opinion, I think that's a very small group for each team. So I'd have that as McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. And the oldest out of that is Landeskog at 28 years old, right in his prime. McKinnon's 25, Rantanen's 24. And you look at a lot of teams across the league, they don't have this kind of luxury to be able to run four quality lines like this. To have as good of a first line that the Avs have, as good as a second line as they have, for a lot of other teams, if they have a top six that can rival this, you see a significant drop-off in their bottom six. But the Avalanche, especially Joe Sackick, has done such a great job in free agency and with drafting that all the holes are plugged in for reasonable prices. And obviously, Landeskog is on the last year of his $5.5 million contract, and he's going to be due for a significant raise, I would say. And next season, you're probably not going to see as much NHL experience in the depth. You'll probably see a lot more of the AHL players come in or whatever signings they make next season for probably closer to league minimum. But for right now, it is really special to have an offense as deep as this, as well-rounded as this. It's not all skill. It's not all size. It's just so perfectly balanced. There really is no weaknesses on it. And if there are injuries like there were last season, we've already shown that there really is no problem with players plugging up and down the lineup. So let's say, just going back to last season, that Rantanen gets hurt again on that top line. You can plug in your choice of Andre Burakovsky, Brandon Saad, Nichushkin, anyone for that matter. You can plug Tyson Jost or Comfort or Donskoy up there. There is barely a player in this lineup that you can't plug in to fill that gap. Or let's just say uh, maybe you want to even just play with the lines a little bit just because you can, and you probably will over the course of a 56-game season. That's what you do in every season. And you can plug Burakovsky up there with McKinnon. There were no issues with that last season. You can put Nachushkin up there if need be. Like, like, let's just say there's injuries in the depth of the lineup. You can start to spread out the talent from that top line just to get more balanced scoring throughout your lineup, I suppose. It's just, it's just such a luxury to have right now, and they should take full advantage of it. And I suspect Jared Bednar definitely will throughout the season. But now moving on to some of the defensive projections for the lineup. Obviously, Kel McCarr will plug into the right side of that top pairing, and I think Ryan Graves will end up slotting in on his left over Sam Girard, just because I think it'd be better to push Girard down the lineup and have Graves and McCarr together since they just seemed to work very well last season. 
And on the second pair, obviously, like I just said, Samuel Gerard. I think he'll. I think he's due for another excellent season. I'll get into more of that later. I partnered him with Eric Johnson on the right. We'll see what Eric Johnson still has left in him. He almost. He almost seems like a bit of an outlier on this lineup, just because he's been around for almost a decade at this point on the Avalanche and. Wow, almost the entire roster is different from when he was first acquired. Pretty much the pretty much the entire roster is different from when he was first acquired. And there's this whole youth movement on the defense with McCarr and Gerard and Timmons coming up and everything and blah blahdy blah to just see Eric Johnson there is almost kind of funny. But he's still doing great. He's still performing and everything and still definitely worthy of being on that second pair. And once we get to the third pair, newly acquired Devon Tays on that left side with Ian Cole on the right side. And you'd think for a team as good offensively as the Avalanche are that they wouldn't have a very good defense. I mean, you see it across the league, teams that have strong offenses, top-of-the-league offenses have these really weak defenses that can't keep pucks out of the net and again it's just the opposite for the avalanche to just have a rookie of the year like kale mccarr and to be able to put a supporting cast like sam gerrard and ryan graves and have an established guy like eric johnson already and to add someone like devon taze to the mix and still have a prospect as good as Bowen Byram, who is absolutely torching the World Juniors right now with Canada going back and forth as the captain of the team. This Avalanche team is built just about perfectly. Joe Sackick has done an amazing job ever since the Avalanche bottomed out in 2017. And ever since that Matt Duchesne trade he made early in the 17-18 season, this team has gone nowhere but up every single season. And now it is culminating with going into the season just now three seasons removed from being the worst team in the salary cap era to being the Stanley Cup favorites. And regardless of how the season turns out, whether or not they lose in the first round or win the Stanley Cup entirely, that is just that is the kind of turnaround you don't really see that often. Like you see teams, you go, so you see teams go to the bottom and rise up again, but you don't see them rise like this. And it's all just perfect roster construction mixed with the emergence of Nathan McKinnon as a superstar and getting a guy like Kale McCarr fourth overall when the Avalanche did bottom out and getting Bowen Byram from the Matt Duchesne trade and just continuing to build around the youth, make smart acquisitions like Burakovsky and Kadri and the Brandon Stodd trade this year and Devon Tays this year as well. And also developing internally, finding a guy like Ryan Graves and continuing to give Tyson Jost and JT Comfer depth roles. I'm very excited for this season, and I'm, I'm almost kind of sick of talking about how good 
the team is because there's almost like no drama. There's no like complaining about like, oh, there's this hole in the roster. Like if you want to complain about a hole in the roster, you can be like, okay, well, the goaltending isn't perfect if we're being extra picky, but it's still definitely good enough to carry this team as far as they want to go. So I'm just very excited to start to like get into training camp and the games and everything so we can finally start to see how this roster looks on the ice. Because I can talk all I want about, oh man, this looks so great on paper and everything. And oh man, they've done such a great job and all these great trades and their their cup favorites and everything. But I feel like it's just been so long of that. And I need, I really, really feel like we need to get these games in now. Because one thing this Avalanche team hasn't really had the last several seasons, especially not the first two years, was expectations. Right after they finished last, I don't think anyone was expecting anything from this team other than just improvement, and they ended up making the playoffs. Then the next season, again, more improvement. They finished the same spot in the playoffs. Expectation was they'd lose to Calgary. They ended up stomping Calgary. And the next season, everyone expected them to make the playoffs again, and they they crushed those expectations again and comfortably made the playoffs and were one of the best teams in the West. And... By the time the playoffs did roll around in August, they were among the Stanley Cup favorites. And even with losing to Dallas and everything, like I've said before, there was the whole, well, we lost our goalies and everything. But if that happens again this year and the Avalanche can't get out of the second round or even just win a Stanley Cup for that matter, this becomes a point in the franchise where they start to get labels and questions start to be asked around the league and even by some fans about the ability of the team to get the job done in the playoffs. It's a, it's a tale as old as time. It's, I want results now. I don't want them in three years. I want them now. And you see it, especially in the NHL, you see it across the league. You can look at the, for a more recent example, you can look at the Leafs right now. They have all the talent in the world and they spend a bunch of their money on their offense with Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. They haven't won a round yet in, I believe, four tries in the playoffs. And people have been asking the question ever since they lost to Boston the first time after their second straight first round loss of can can this Leafs team get it done in the playoffs? And it adds that much pressure. And then at that point, it's no longer fun to be the favorites every single season. You can look at Washington as well. No one thought it would take Washington that long to win the Stanley Cup. And after they lost to Montreal in 2010, that's when all the questions started to be raised. Can this Washington team get it done in the playoffs? So the Avalanche, they would do very well to avoid falling into that hole. Because, yes, the first two years they made the playoffs, they were the second wild card. And in the second year, they knocked off the top team in the West in Calgary. But they still lost to the Sharks in seven, and that's how history will remember it. And last year, they lost in Game 7 in the second round again, this time to Dallas, obviously. So if they do that again, that's when the label will start to be added. This is really the last, I guess, fun season, like... 
not house money because there's definitely something on the line now, but last like fun were a young team season because if they lose this season, next season it's no longer cute. But as of right now, there is no indication that this Avalanche team cannot get it done in the playoffs. I mean, you can look at their re- you can look at the playoff record over the last three years. It's nothing short of impressive. When they scraped into the playoffs in 2018 and played the President's Trophy-winning Predators, they gave the Predators everything they could handle. They dominated them in that Game 3. The first two games were not blowouts, and then Game 3 was all Colorado. And that Game 5 was a spectacular playoff performance before they just couldn't take it anymore in Game 6. And then the next year, shut out by Calgary in Game 1, and they rattle off four straight dominant wins to knock off the best team in the West. And the Sharks were no joke either. The Sharks were still heavily favored in that series. They pushed it all the way to seven, what was a spectacular series with Landeskog scoring that game six overtime winner to send it to a game seven. And last year, they made quick work of Arizona. It's not like they succumbed to pressure or anything and let Arizona make it close. Arizona won one game. And then after that game... Colorado outscored them 14-2. to And then in the Dallas series, things got off to a poor start. Injuries, they lose Grubauer, Franzos comes in, and they lose both games. They're down 3-1. to And then they come back and force a Game 7 with spectac- spectacular performances across the board. And like I mentioned before, McKinnon, the star of the team and the guy who's going to get the most attention scored a point in every single playoff game except for Game 7. So, until there's evidence to the contrary, this Avalanche team can get it done in the playoffs, and they have the talent to do it. So, the expectation is to win the Stanley Cup. Because things, they don't get more fun after this season. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, this is really the last fun season that you get because you're going to have to pay Landis Gog after this season and he's going to get paid. It might not be a huge raise. He's not going to make $10 million, but maybe something between seven and eight. That's not nothing. That's an extra almost $2 million on the books. And then a flat cap, that's going to hurt. And what's going to hurt you is Kale McCarr. Because if Kale McCarr, even if Kale McCarr has an exactly identical season, to the one he had last year, I don't know how you can pay him less than $8 million a year. He doesn't even make a million dollars right now. He's still on his entry-level deal. So you're going to add $8 million to your salary cap, plus probably the $2 million raise that Landeskog is going to get. So that's going to be $10 million on the books, extra from this season on two players alone not even considering re-signing Brandon Saad, if you can even do that, not even re- not even considering Tyson Jost. So the Avalanche have not had to deal with salary issues yet and having to maintain a Stanley Cup contending team like a lot of teams have had to do. So this is, like I said, this is the last fun season that you get to really go all in at the Stanley Cup with no 
external narratives, no upcoming salary cap crunches or window closing and anything, because that's what it is in the NHL. One season, you're a Stanley Cup contender, you don't get it done, and then a multitude of things happen in the offseason, and then you take a step back, and it takes a while to get back to that point. I mean, just look at Winnipeg, 2018. They were Stanley Cup favorites, bowed out to Vegas in the conference final after a great run, and then they lose to St. Louis in the first round the next year after they were expected to make another run, and then they lose their entire defense in the offseason. And now people are wondering if the Jets are even going to make the playoffs this year. So you need to take advantage of every single opportunity that you get, even with as much fun coupons as the Avalanche have right now with all the salary cap and all the cheap contracts that they have to just be able to continue to sign good players and acquire good players as much as they can. Now is the time that you need to take advantage of it because it doesn't get any easier after this. But anyway, moving on from that now, I wanted to get into the players that will end up being the most important for this Avalanche team once the season starts. Uh, for obvious reasons, I'm going to be excluding the top line and Kale McCarr from that conversation just because, yeah, they're, I would wager they're going to be pretty important players for this upcoming season, so I wanted to shine the light on some of the other players. And first and foremost, I think the most important player, not on the first line, on offense for the Avalanche this season is going to be Andre Burakovsky in that second line role. With Burakovsky, he was acquired from the Capitals a season ago. He came over and was excellent in his first season with the team, but now we need to see him do it again. In Washington, consistency was always a struggle with him. He dealt with a lot of injuries, a lot of confidence issues. There were nights that he would score two goals in a game and then get scratched not even a week later. Once he came to Colorado, the difference was he was able to get a solidified spot in the roster on, at worst, the third line, but mostly the second line, and that did wonders for his performance. And the skill and talent is all there for Burakovsky, especially with his shot, when he can just stop and line up a perfect wrist shot. Now that his wrists are healed from some of the injuries he had a few seasons ago in Washington, when he gets all of it, he can score basically at will. And I think the potential ceiling for Burakovsky in an 82-game season, I think 30 goals is a safe bet, and you can maybe expect him put up between maybe 65, maybe even 70 points in a full season if he plays to the best of his ability. Because when you watch him on the ice, you see flashes of brilliance. He can score from ridiculous angles, from ridiculous distances. And like I mentioned, his shot is absurd to watch sometimes. He is ridiculously accurate with it. And his playmaking ability has flown very under the radar throughout his career. He's very good at dishing the puck, and he's a very good option on the second power play. So if he takes full advantage of this season with having spectacular line mates like 
Nazem Kadri and Brandon Saad and taking advantage of probably getting a lot of power play time, even if it's on the second unit, you can see the emergence maybe as a 30-goal scorer. Well, obviously not this season, but a 30-goal pace in a 56-game season, which would probably be around 20 goals. I can't do that math off the top of my head, but to have that kind of scoring outside of your top line really takes a lot of that pressure off of McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog to produce at absurd rates every single night. I mean, you see it in Boston. Like, the Bruins don't have the best depth in the world, but they have that ridiculous top line. And when that top line doesn't score a point in a game, they have a losing record. But for the Avalanche, like, let's just say McKinnon, Ranton, Landeskog go cold for a night. They just can't get on the board. To have someone like Burakovsky who can score from anywhere on the ice at a moment's notice will be huge for them. But he needs to produce at a high level this season. Because last season when they traded for him, they weren't really sure what they were getting. They weren't sure if the 25-point guy they got from Washington is just what he is. And it turned out he was better than that. It was almost like found money in a way. But now that expectation is going to be on him to continue to produce at that level. And if he can continue to do that, then the Avalanche will be in great shape, especially if he can beat his performance from last year as well. And now moving on from Burakovsky to who I believe will be the other important piece on this Avalanche offense, that would be Valerie Nichushkin. Basically almost the same boat as Burakovsky picked him up as a free agent after the Dallas Stars let him go from a disappointing season. He turns it on in Colorado for a spectacular season, like I've mentioned in previous episodes. And now if he, if he like Burakovsky, can continue his newfound success and continue to produce in a depth role, and like I said earlier, he'll be going up and down the lineup throughout the season if there are injuries or just to add an extra spark to another line. If he can improve himself from last year, see, in 65 games, 27 points, so maybe in a 58-game season, maybe 25 to 30 points would be a reasonable expectation for him, though hopefully something around 30. If he can continue to be that kind of guy you can plug in to any point in the lineup and continue to grow as a player and upgrade his two-way game and his overall consistency on a night-by-night basis, then you have a steal on your hands at $2.5 million for another season after this one for a guy that you you basically have penciled in on your fourth line for the moment. You could potentially plug him in on the second line and move even someone like Brandon Saad down if Nachushkin plays all the way up to his potential. But more realistically, you could probably see him replacing Jonas Donskoy on that third line, or Tyson Jost, if Jost doesn't perform this season, and really plug any holes as to any depth problems that the Avalanche might potentially have in terms of underperformance from other players. 
And like I've said before, it's almost comical how much depth this Avalanche team has compared to other teams in the league, especially when you compare it to the Avalanche from three years ago in 2017 when they finished bottom of the league and not even close. I mean, you look at Valery Nachushkin on the fourth line now and compare him to when they were playing guys like Cody McLeod on the fourth line or when they had Blake Como playing big minutes or even Francois Beauchemin. Remember, you guys remember any of those guys? Patrick Weirkosh, Carl Soderberg, John Mitchell. Tomorrow will be three years ago that the New York Rangers and Colorado Avalanche met on December 31st. So actually be four years ago to the day, because this is 2016. That the New York Rangers beat the Colorado Avalanche 6-2. to two. And do you want to take a crack? at who scored the goals for the Avalanche in that game. Who scored the points? You have a guess? First goal for the Colorado Avalanche was by Cody McLeod. His first goal of the season, assisted by Tyson Berry and Mikel Grigorenko. Aren't those some names? And the second goal... Blake Como from Francois Boschman and Rennie Bork. I think that's just very funny to look back on, especially now considering how good this Avalanche team is. The fact that they were icing players even as soon as four years ago. Guys like Eric Jelena, Gabe Bork, Francois Boschman, Mark Barbario. Anyone remember Sven Andraghetto? Who are some other guys? Cody Golubev, Joe Colborn. That's a that is a name I have not heard in a minute. Joe Colborn. Man, that was his that was his last season in the NHL. Wow, Joe Colborn. That is that is a name I have not seen in a long time. I for I forgot he ever played for the Avalanche. Guy, look at some of the other guys back when Matt Nieto still played. Calvin Picard. Remember when Calvin Picard was gonna be one of the goalies of the future? He had an all right season. And then he went to Vegas and then eventually Toronto, and then just no one ever heard from him again. What a time that was. <laughs> I mean, Nathan McKinnon that season, he had 53 points in 82 games. No one was good. Nobody was good this season. And for McKinnon now, that'd be a disaster of a season. That was Miko Rantanen's rookie season. The lone bright spot of that season was that Miko Rantanen had 20 goals. But it's, it's a, amazing to look back on what that roster was, and just how quickly this team has turned around. In just four years, we've gone from giving Fedor Tutin 69 games to having Kale McCarr on the top line and Devon Tays playing third pair minutes, and maybe we'll just even have Bowen Byram come up for fun as well. I mean... 
How many of these guys are even still here? You have McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, Eric Johnson. You gotta go all the way down to JT Kompfer to name another one. Tyson Jost. Man, that's really it. They really just tore this team down. It is not at all the same anymore. Thank God. This team didn't even reach 50 points that season. And thank God Detroit was even worse last season because now we no longer hold that record as the worst team in salary cap era history. Good Lord. So yeah, we've gone from hoping for the first overall pick and trying to get Nolan Patrick. Remember when the tanking for Nolan Patrick was a thing? And then the Devils ended up getting the first overall pick and the Avalanche didn't win any of those lotteries. And we were like, oh man, the fourth overall pick, that's our reward for this season. And that reward ended up being Kale McCarr, who, I mean, arguably better than the other three picks ahead of him. Anyway, I, I sidetracked myself enough with that for some reason. I went on that whole tangent about the old avalanche and everything and just how far we've come. I was talking about Valery Nichushkin and his expectation and his potentially big role on this team in the upcoming season. So basically with Nichushkin, to wrap it all up before I sidetrack myself again, Nichushkin is really going to be the rover this season and plug in where there's injuries or maybe like positive tests every here and there because God forbid it happens, but you have to be prepared for it that someone's going to test positive and be out for 10 games, which is not nothing. And I'd expect a pretty solid season from him, maybe not Burakovsky level, just because Chushkin doesn't have that same level of talent, but it's all there for him to be a very solid player that we can just plug in anywhere. And if he can do that, then the Avalanche will just be golden, and they can take a lot of injuries in stride, which unfortunately injuries are going to happen this season, but they can take them in stride, plug Nachushkin in on the second line or even the top line if need be, and continue to keep rolling. But that would about wrap up a lot of the lineup projections and some of the expectations that I have for some of these players coming into the upcoming season. Burakovsky and Nachushkin are going to be big parts of the offense coming up. If you want to look at the defense, obviously someone like Samuel Girard could take even another big step forward as he starts his new seven-year contract. I mean, he's he's already been around for three seasons already, and he's already proven himself to be a legit top pair defenseman, and he's only 22. I, man, it's 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 just comical looking at this team sometimes. Just yeah, you also have Sam Gerrard too, because you almost forget about him just because oh, we also have Kale McCarr and also Bowen Byram coming up the wing as well. Yeah, Sam Gerrard, I think he'll end up being a very big part of this team as well, and obviously the addition of Devon Tays just adds so much depth to this team. I mean, you, there's there could be times you see Gerard down on the third pair, and it might be for no fault of his own, or even Graves down on the third pair, and you see Taze up with Makar. Because you, you can basically do whatever you want with all this talent. You can just mix and match it 
how you please. There's no like, okay, well, we got to shelter this guy or put this guy like Makar on the ice for 30 minutes because we have no one else. I'm, I'm almost just out of stuff to talk about with this team. They're good. They're just a really, really good hockey team. They're the best built team in the league right now. Even with the flat salary cap and everything, they didn't have to trade players to fit under the cap. They added Saad. They added Taze. Their young players are getting another year under their belt. Like I said earlier, this is potentially the best shot you're going to have at a Stanley Cup. Not to say that next season or the season after that won't be another shot at the Stanley Cup. They might still be Stanley Cup favorites for that year, too. But this is potentially your best shot before a lot of the players on this lineup now start to hit the open market next season once this season's done. But now wrapping up the expectations, I wanted to quickly do a Around the NHL segment because uh, something pretty big happened right as I was about to hit record on this show, and that was Zidano Chara not re-signing with the Boston Bruins, instead signing with the Washington Capitals. What? That that floored me right before I started recording. I had to take a half an hour to just process that in my brain. That came out of nowhere. No one saw that coming. It was just a report from Ken Campbell and the middle of a Wednesday afternoon. Oh yeah, Zidane Chara is going to be signing in Washington. And then all and then huge domino effect. Chara tweets out a goodbye. All the other sources make it official and the Capitals announce it. And now all of a sudden Zidane Chara plays for the Washington Capitals. Is it was just one of, it's one of the most bizarre signings I've ever seen. Because first of all, seeing Chara in any other uniform besides a Bruins uniform is just unnerving. I was very young when Chara signed with the Bruins after being in Ottawa. So I don't remember him in anything other than a Bruins jersey. In my mind, he is a Bruin. So seeing him in a Capitals jersey is going to be very, very unnerving this season. Tallest player in NHL history, oldest player in the league. I mean, man, the Capitals, they're, they're not afraid of being old. <laughs> it's almost funny looking at the, the ages on the roster because adding Chara to the mix pushes their average age on defense to 30 and a half. <laughs> that is, that's honestly really funny because every team in the NHL is all about getting younger and everything and injecting youth and everything the capitals are intentionally just pushing some of their youth out of the lineup to just go all in at a stanley cup and adding 43 year old zidane chara and this might be chara's last season i mean he's not in boston anymore obviously so this might just be just a season for one last shot at the cup and maybe he hangs it up after that i mean Char is obviously just an athletic freak of nature, one of the biggest freaks in nature hockey has ever seen. So even at 43, he still has something left in him 
I mean, his speed has obviously... He, he wasn't very fast to begin with, and he doesn't even have that anymore, but that doesn't change the fact that he's still a giant when he's on the ice. He's 6'9 and 250 pounds every time he runs into you. And he still had the hardest recorded slap shot in the league ever. Like, I just... Even still, I still can't wrap my brain around that sign, especially why Washington would want him. I mean, they had the Lundquist thing happen last week where it was announced that he couldn't play this season due to the heart injury, which opened up cap space, and they signed Shiri. I guess they they really were married to the idea of having an old, like, other team fan favorite on their team to maybe encourage the team to go out and try a little harder. And if it's not going to be Lundquist, it might as well be Chara and just add more depth on defense. But man, I mean, the Capitals, they have a, they have a ton of defensemen now. They've, they signed Justin Schultz. They signed Trevor Van Riemsdyk. They signed Paul Ledoux as well this offseason. I mean, Jonas Siegenthaler was supposed to be like, a player that was going to start to step up this season, and Martin Faravari was supposed to like make the NHL full-time this year, but I guess that's not happening anymore. I guess they're just committing to being the the old team this season. Ovechkin's 35, Backstrom's 33, Oshie's 34, Carlson's 30, Chara's 43. I mean, you might you might as well commit to it. I guess I still can't even really wrap my brain around that signing. I just I ne- I guess I never really considered the possibility that Chara wouldn't play in Boston anymore. It's just it's just one of those things that never registered. Like when Boston lost to Tampa Bay in the playoffs, and Chara's contract expired, I was like, okay, he'll just sign another one. And even when they didn't sign him for a while, I was just like, okay, well they'll sign him before training camp. He, I don't know why they wouldn't. And apparently they just want to move on with younger defensemen, which is not a bad thing, but I just I never really considered it. And so to see that just pop on my time and I go, yeah, Chara's going to Washington just really screwed with my head. I had to, I had to completely like stop the show prep and everything and like think about that for a minute. So yeah, Washington is not going to be very fun to play against this season, and thank God the Avalanche do not have to do that. Um, imagine having to play Tom Wilson, Garnet Hathaway, Zdeno Chara, Brendan Dillon, and Alex Ovechkin every like single night for a week if you have to play them three, four times in a row. Imagine being the Penguins right now and looking at that roster you 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 got to ask the trainers to fill up the ice bath before the game's over. You're you're going home in stitches that night even if you win cuz you can probably get around them pretty easily if you just go even at a brisk walking pace, but they're they're going to make you pay for every inch and thank god the Avalanche don't have to deal with that this season. Even if it would even if it only would have been just twice, would not have been a ton of fun to play against. Thank God we get to play some teams like the Kings and not be a team like Boston right now. That should be fun. Boston and Washington eight times with Chara going to Washington. That, that'll that be a lot of fun. 
to watch. I really, this season's just going to be so much fun. Um, imagine all the new rivalries that are going to be formed as a result of this season, and even the ones that already exist right now, how much they're going to be ramped up. I mean, even just putting together like my most basic like standings predictions, like I had Boston and Washington meeting in the playoffs as well as like a two versus three matchup. So imagine they play eight times with Chara on the other team, and then they meet in a seven-game playoff series. That would be crazy. Or even in the Canadian division, you have Calgary and Edmonton meeting ten times, then imagine they play each other in a playoff series. Like, you're just, teams are going to outright despise each other after this season. And it'll make for some crazy headlines throughout the season. And we'll see what happens with the Avalanche and a lot of teams in these divisions. I think there's going to be something that boils over with the Blues this season. And every game against Vegas is going to be must-watch. And maybe it'll even rekindle something with the Wild that, yeah, we've had a, a rivalry with them because we've been in the same division the entire time. But, like, nothing really noteworthy or nasty. Just the usual, we don't like you, pushing and shoving. You know, and maybe even against the... The lower end teams like the Kings, like if they if they can't outscore us, they'll definitely try to out hit us. And I doubt anyone on our team is going to end up being very happy about that. And by the seventh or eighth matchup, I think a lot of these teams are going to be very, very sick of seeing each other. So I just can't wait to get it started. Training camp opens tomorrow for the teams that did not make the playoffs. And Sunday they open for everybody else, which means that the next time we talk, there's going to be hockey players on the ice and actual hockey to talk about other than theories. So that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Avs It Is podcast. Follow me on Twitter at NHL and follow the show at Tell It Avs It Is. If you have a question you'd like to have read on the show, send them to our open direct message box. I'd love to start doing a Q&A sometime in the near future. And next time we talk, like I just said, we will have actual hockey to talk about. And then in just a few more episodes after that, we will have games to talk about. So I hope you all are ready. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in as always, and I will catch you all next time.